Welcome to Outrageous, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is... In- oh, my God. My name is what? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> it's like Indira Lakshman. Like, that, that was... <laughs> Let's try again. Post. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City. I'm joined by my two very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. I feel like today I have to greet everyone with a simple, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) That's my greeting. And with that, we are (laughs) post-election and we were saying earlier that this feels like this feels like a season finale to the last 18 episodes that we've done uh surrounding trump and the election and as we know by now president-elect trump will arise to power come january when i'm sure he will institute all sorts of draconian policies to torture us all so guys where were you and what was your first reaction when you realized that Donald Trump will be president of the United States of oh, America. Can I can I go first? Can I go first? I'm so glad uh, you asked this. Sure. I've been, I've been... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're so glad I asked this? What did you think we were talking about tonight? No, no, but that question of like where were you? Because I, I was I've been dying to tell this story. So All right. you know, I started watching and you know that the rhythm of like you'd see state polls close, right? And so you'd learn about a couple states, and then there'd be like an hour of like seeing the same friggin' numbers again and again. I was like, I cannot take this. And I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep. So I went to bed at 10. And I was like, I'm just going to wake up and find out. Well, I had five groomsmen in my wedding. Chris, you being one of them. My two cousins, Brian and Josh, whom I love dearly. And then my good friends, Joey and Amit. Joey and Amit, I don't talk to very often. Amit, I haven't heard from in years. And Joey, we see each other once or twice a year. We talk here and there, like very rarely. So I let, I, you know, I, I'm ready to go to sleep. And then I start getting like a stream of texts from Joey. It's about 10, 15. And I, I haven't talked to him in months. And he's texting and he's saying, what do you think is going to happen? I think Trump's going to win. This is going to be like Brexit. And he's like giving all these reasons. You know, he's a social studies. And I, I was just sending back short answers. I, I disagree. I'm keeping up hope, you know. So go to sleep. I wake up at like four in the morning. I glance at my phone and I have two texts which tell me the news. My good friend, Sarah, loyal listener, her text is my God, period. Text is apocalypse now. (laughs) That's how at four in the morning on Wednesday, that's how I learned the news. Oh, and let me end by saying then, I'm sorry. Let me just say then this this morning at four in the morning, I get a Facebook message from Amit whom I literally have not wow. heard from in, in years. A long message talking about how he's really worried, says, I feel like the American, you know, just so the, the audience knows, Amit is Israeli. He lives back in Israel now with his family. He lived in the States for a while. He says, I feel like the American government is the only thing that keeps the Israeli government from doing crazy shit, and now I'm really worried. <laughs> so I... I bought some champagne or sparkling wine in preparation for the evening. I expected to have, I expected to need it either way, either celebration or to drown my sorrows. Let's get really fucking drunk. (laughs) So I'm watching, I'm watching the returns and you know, in the beginning, it seems like she's comfortably, she's doing fine. And then midway through places that had been sort of declared for her early start dropping back. (laughs) Pennsylvania, she seems to be fine in Pennsylvania. Florida, ooh, Florida looks like it's good. So, you know, once Florida was tipsying back and forth, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I I was kind of disturbed because I actually really wanted a full repudiation. So the fact that it was even tense was getting to me because I really wanted a 2008 Obama experience where it was like, yeah, over. No, I totally feel you on that. The fact I was like, that it was even what? close early on. I was like, this is, I, I was like, this. I can't deal. And so when it was very clear that he was dead ahead, I think he was at like 225 or so, what was it? Was it 225, 224? And she was not anywhere close. And then they started mapping her path. And I was like, oh, this is getting too complicated. And then Pennsylvania started getting tense. I was like, okay, V, I was like, I'm going to go to bed. 
I was like, I think I, I think I, I think I left at 1030. I was like, I can't deal. This looks like there's only one way this is going. And it, I, by then it was like, you really needed a miracle. You need like a weird crater to drop in the middle and everything starts all over. And I was like, I can't. So I went to, I went to lay down and I just, I couldn't fall asleep. I kept checking my Twitter feed a little bit. I could not fall asleep. And every single moment, I just kept expecting my sister to bang through my door and go, oh, my God, miracle, something's flipped. And it just never happened. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so I just fell asleep sort of quietly knowing that he had won. Nothing really fully confirmed. And then, and then there was like a hint. I got up to go to the bathroom mid, midway through the night. And I was like, I looked at my feed and they were saying something about John Podesta saying, maybe we should all leave. We're going to come back tomorrow. And then I woke up the next morning and I saw the news on my, um, my Facebook feed. And I was like, wow. And to be honest, I've been, I've been having that reaction every couple hours. Like every couple hours I pause and go, I can't believe that happened. Like, I keep waiting to be woken up from a bad dream. <laughs> How about you, Chris? I mean, we were texting for a bit. I mean, I, I'm sure, I, I'm like most Americans, I was watching it, and then I would, like, take breaks for an hour to, like, play Xbox. I tried to take a nap because I just, I didn't want to watch it roll in because it was a little too anxiety-provoking. When, that same thing with you, Trisha, when I saw Florida wavering, mm-hmm. that was when I, I was like, she can't do it. Because I, I knew all she had to do was win uh, Florida, North Carolina, or Ohio. But in my estimation, she had Michigan and Wisconsin in the bag. Mm. When Michigan and Wisconsin were no longer looking like sure things, I was like, that's when it began to dawn on me. So then I was like, let me just go to sleep. Because <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this is a dream. Whatever. I like how we all did that. We all went, we were all like, we can't. I was like, I gotta all go of to our bed. thresholds for pain was very like, low. Let's just go to sleep. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up. I didn't really sleep much, to be honest. I was like at two o'clock. I looked at my phone and I was like, okay. And it said that he had won. And I sort of put the phone back down and then I just got the worst three hours of sleep. And I woke up at 5 a.m. and I just stare at the ceiling for two hours, two or three hours, just trying to figure out what to do. And now I plotted an escape to Europe. I made a quick mental list of all the men I flirted with in Europe and which of them will have me now. Uh, I, I thought about where all my money is. I thought about, I like, I really went really deep into the rabbit hole and the day after the election was misery i don't know how it was in your cities but darkness in new york oh god getting on the train it was like it was september 12th all over again yeah yeah no school drop off when i dropped my kids off at school yesterday morning wednesday morning i mean there were parents just crying just tears like and i my thing was you know i told the kids over breakfast i was like i have news for you guys and you know i have not i have not evangelized to them at all during this election but they have decided based on things they've heard that donald trump is a mean man mm-hmm. and they definitely as they said cheered for hillary clinton and so i said i have news for you guys donald trump won and they were like what but he's mean who would cheer for him <laughs> cheering for and voting are synonymous to my kids but anyway so i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it cool like I, I told them like i'm very disappointed i really thought i really think hillary clinton would make the better president but donald trump won and let's all hope that he's gonna be much nicer than he's been thus far and then i take him to school and i'm just trying to keep it cool and then they're just parents like sobbing like in front of the kids i'm like oh this is not good like <laughs> this is not good like the kids you can just see the kids soaking up all of this negative emotion it was awful I just kept wanting to wake up and going, this is not happening, which has continued to be my normal state now for the last couple of days. I, every, not, every four or five hours, I just pause and I go, yep, still Donald Trump. <laughs> you know what, doesn't it, though? I mean, I, this question, to me, it really reinforces exactly what one of the big problems is. Like, I, I can say that my sense is, you know, in my kid's school, I would be very surprised if one parent voted for trump at work you know everyone i talk to i'm thinking about the day after when i'm like you know i we we're somewhat virtual of an organization so i call people hey how's it going everyone was devastated and like like i feel like i don't interact with anyone and it just like the the social and geographic segregation that exists you know ideologically or politically is it's really 
that's really like sat like i've just felt that like everyone i know is devastated and and like well, if i were to judge only by my own relationships it's like how is this even possible i don't know anyone that's happy with this outcome i want to come back to that uh, uh but i just want to share my experience on that on the day after i went to work and i got to work and i did not want to see any white people <laughs> whatsoever whatsoever good luck with I that walk, well i mean you're the wrong I walked right in a lot of the support staff at work is black so i said hello miss diana she said hello i went right into my office and i just closed the door then we get an email from the head of the entire organization and they are buying pizza for everyone in all five boroughs at every office which was nice but then i was like i'm gonna have to go sit in a room with a bunch of people and i was not ready to laugh I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't ready to make jokes. Yep. And particularly I was not ready to be in a a room full of white people who are going to be okay pretty much and just have them like laugh it off, especially white women. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Oh dear. So so, let's get to that now. So Jason, you said you don't know anyone (laughs) who voted. You said you don't know anyone who voted for Trump. I I work for a really progressive organization that works with people in need and people being kept down by a system. But I'll tell you something right now. One out of every two women, white women who voted, voted for Trump. So, and yes, yes, that's not evenly distributed throughout the country. But the secret Trump voter was white white women who you know, we're at dinner parties and people said, oh, Hillary, I'm voting for her. And she just sipped her her white Zinfandel. And then she went into the voting booth, looked over her shoulder and then voted for Donald Trump. Well, is it? Trump let me her. ask, though, is that I've been trying to figure this out. There's been so much commentary. Is it that or is it that the white women who who would have voted for Trump voted for Trump and many of the white women who we expected to vote for Clinton didn't turn out. No, I don't believe that. Anyone who well, it could be both, it, Trisha. Why no, no. If you are a white woman who wanted to vote for Clinton, you would have showed up for the historic event. That's that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, this there's this idea that um, a lot of white people showed up. I well, mean, there was a, there was in, a surge of white in people. a certain I mean, age group. In a certain, in a certain age, age group, group, millennial women, white women did not turn out. No, they they voted for Trump. They weren't they weren't underrepresented. They did. They no, I think they were. They I think. I mean, I, I don't know what the I don't know what the percentage of people who expected. I mean, the question is: Listen, first and foremost, it's difficult to say, right? Because a full half of the electorate did not show up. Period. Oh, right. I right. mean, can like, you believe? I mean, that. I mean that part. Can we just talk about that before we even just like let's talk God, about the people. We're all over the place. No, no, Go no, ahead. no, no. But but let's just start out with the fact that this man has been blasting through the airways in many different places. I mean, even if you're not attending to news fully, so many elements of the things he said has been has been given free fodder on the news. So for you to kind of look and go, oh, all right, and then just get up on November 8th and did nothing differently? <laughs> like, like, who is that voter? I need well, to know can I, can who I that say voter that? is. <laughs> I, I was thinking back to Obama's first run, and I have to admit, I went to Virginia and knocked on doors. I volunteered on that campaign. I co-hosted a fundraiser. I... You know, I, I, I gave money to Hillary and I gave money to Obama. And in either case, did I give a lot? Because I don't have a lot. But I gave significantly more to Obama. I did not knock on doors for Hillary. And it sure looks like I should have in Virginia. I did not co-host a fundraiser. And I gave her less money. So I, I'm being very honest here, which is like, while I certainly went out and voted, I didn't, you know, I, I was, you know, the, the, the whole talk of like the lack of enthusiasm for Clinton, like I, now in retrospect, I have to admit it affected me. And I, I have to look in the mirror about that. Like maybe I could have made more of a difference. I just I want to just state this as a fact. I know a lot of people in my circles are running on being like half the country voted for Trump. Half the country believes in racism mm-hmm. and xenophobia. Actually, no, like 24.9% of the country does. That's one out of yeah. four Americans. Uh, and, and that's worth saying and repeating to people because that number is a little bit more manageable. It's large, but it's still more manageable than half the country. Half the country didn't vote. And I think Obama was able to turn out minorities 
Obama was able to turn out young people. And the one, one of the things- And working class whites, by the way, more than yes. One of the things that the earliest exit polls show was something like four out of 10 or six out of 10 voters weren't jazzed about either candidate. And those were the people who showed up to the polls. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? So like there was a, a, a huge enthusiasm problem this year. And listen, wait, 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 wait. Uh, who? What do you mean a huge enthusiasm problem? Because I, I, I beg to differ about that. I think that the people, I think the white people who voted for Trump were extremely enthusiastic about Trump. Well, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but some, they asked people how they viewed Donald Trump, and something, some percentage of people said that they viewed him very unfavorably. Then he managed to get thirty percent of their vote. See, right. I don't and buy same that. Thing with like same thing. People who said they thought he didn't have the temperament. Yeah, he and he, portion of I, them, like all the all these people. So yeah, I, I don't enthusiasm. And I know I'm the one who introduced that word. It's maybe not nuanced enough. But what's interesting is that it appears at an unprecedented level there were people who voted for a candidate that they thought was unfit for office, which is pretty no, extraordinary. See, yes. I don't buy that. See, I, I don't buy any oh, of no. the things. No, let me tell you right now. <laughs> are you becoming one of those? The no, facts are I, this. I don't buy no, it. Um. You know what though? But, it's not, but you know what? It's not a fact. I Because this is why everyone was shocked. It's not a fact because I think. One well, what, what's of, what, not a fact? Let me it. just, let me clarify. I think that people exited the polls and said a lot of things that they want that people wanted you to say. Oh, I don't trust Trump, but I voted for him. Come on, that's bullshit. Like, why would you even bother? Yeah, why would you just lie about who you voted for? Because 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 that's exactly why the exit polls were wrong. People, the exit polls weren't wrong. They were wrong. No, the initial polls were suggesting that people were not voting for Trump. And clearly, this magical silent majority, it's because people were lying about what they were going to do. No, no, no. Let's clarify. The exit polls, which uh, I don't have them in front of me, but I can post the link. The exit polls show that Trump won, right? He, a lot of people voted for Trump. Um, and then it breaks it down by, by uh, gender and race and the rest of it. In the polls, uh, the pre-polls were not accurate. But exit polls, people said they voted for Trump and then they fe- fell into these demographics. I mean, the so, demographics, did they, did they say they voted for Trump and then reveal that they didn't trust who they voted for? I don't know yes. exactly. I don't know how, I don't know how that's administered. Cause I, oh, didn't that's true. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Oh, but I, that's I, I presume what, it was a questionnaire. No, it was a questionnaire, but this is what I'm saying. I think one, I think, first of all, I think polling for this election has completely I yeah polling for oh grabs. My God. I mean, not even it's, it's next time. just like it's like oh, it's the God. elephant in the room. You know what I mean? Talk about an industry that well, will just have got, to be revisited. Yeah, they got it wrong last time, just in the other direction. Think, last time they said it was going to be close, and Obama trounced them. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's very bad. But I, I mean, I think I I I don't know. I I'm not comfortable with the narrative that's emerging that people were reluctant about the people they voted for. I really don't buy that. I, I didn't don't say buy that. Or that they they I, I don't think that enthusiasm or any of that stuff. I really don't buy into it. I, people were Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. No, I was just I just don't buy into it. I think that the white people who voted for Trump were extremely excited to vote for Trump. And I think the people who voted for Hillary Clinton understood why they were voting for Hillary Clinton. I mean, maybe there was maybe the question is, were people voting for something or were they voting against something? Well, the evidence is that there were a lot of them were voting against more than ever before. Yes. election. Yeah. I think when we talk about an enthusiasm problem, it's not as simple as like. Like the white people were extremely enthusiastic to vote for Trump and people held their nose and voted for Clinton or people were enthusiastic about Clinton. I, I think, and this is what the exit poll data shows, is that there was, there was a Trump voter and it's not quite the person that we think it is. It's not the narrative. It's not the chud-chewing yokel in Nebraska and flyover country. It was a lot of middle-class white people who who had voted Republican in the past and voted Mm -hmm. Republican today, he was able to turn out a lot of people. And I heard, I heard this on another podcast. I think because there was a threat that so many Latinos were going to show up to vote. And given that Trump's whole platform is built on immigration, he was able to energize a base of people whose 
with real facts that Latinos were turning out to vote in early voting, like he was able to gen- to galvanize his base, who that was the one issue that they cared about. So they all flocked to the polls. Now, going back to the middle class white people who are voting, I do think that those people probably said, you know what? Not a huge fan of Donald Trump. I don't think he's really right for the office, but I can't vote for Hillary Clinton, and I voted Republican in the past. And I think that voter is what I, – I know that that's the voter that took him where he needed to go. Who's that voter, though? I don't understand that voter. It's the Republican voter. base. It's the Republican base. No, like, that's, but that's, that's not the Republican base. Those are the people – Defining. That's not – The Republicans that we thought – Defining that, ba- that has, as the Republican base for the last two cycles. The Republicans who we thought were going to be turned off by all the pussy grabbing and the rest of it, the Republicans who swore up and down that they were disgusted and they were going to vote for Clinton in the last two or three weeks when he's been reading off teleprompters, they moved back and they just weren't very noisy about it. They just moved back. And that's why the polling was wrong because when they got in the booth and they were, they checked themselves and they were like, you know what? He's been pretty okay for the past two weeks. And they, voted for Trump because they're Republicans. But he's, but he was, um, I don't, but see, I, I find that group confusing only because, oh, I, me too. I mean, because he's loosely Republican, first of all. And then mm-hmm. second of all, what were they turned off by really? Were they turned off by just public dismay around Trump? Because if it was, if it was so shallow, it wouldn't have been so quick for it to go either way. So these well, people were really Trumpers from beginning. I think that they I'll just did not they want. Off, they didn't want the public. I think that these people realized <laughs> that it was embarrassing for them to an, admit out loud that they were Trumpers because most of the people that they were probably working with were doing the same. Oh my God! Can you imagine it? So they were embarrassed to admit that they were still going to vote for this person. So they re- became silent. Mm-hmm. And nothing he did from that point on either way was ever going to change their mind because they had never changed their mind. They had just simply decided that it was not publicly kosher to say exactly. It. We and, agree, but that's the voter we're defining. But but what I'm saying is that was not the base for the party. That is that has not been well, that has not been the news cycle I, about what the base was. Exactly, that was, that was the wrong narrative because it turns yep. out. It turns out that the base was precisely that voter. And that's why the polling was so wrong ahead of time because yep. they kept going into rural areas. Not that rural people didn't turn up because they did, but they kept going to rural areas being like, oh, this is what's this is where Trump's people are. It turns out that Trump's people are in our offices, in our apartment yep. buildings. They yep. are everywhere they've always been because they're they're rank and file Republicans. But they were I mean, the, and they're the nice white people. That's the thing, because there's a there's a claim that Jason makes that I'm also I, I'm curious about, Jason. You talk about working class. Now, Hillary won people fifty thousand dollars or less. So yeah. who are the working and class? You're talking about you're talking about people who annually make fifty thousand dollars. Yes. Okay. Fif- annually, people make fifty thousand dollars. They overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly voted for Hillary. So this narrative that keeps wanting to emerge about economic anxiety—if there's anyone that's anxious, it should be that group. But they voted for Hillary. So who is? Well, why did this model emerge of a Trump voter as somebody who is economically insecure and all? Because they—they they weren't the ones. They—they they, they did what they needed to do. That—that that better fits the narrative. Like, oh, they need a change. Oh, who needs a change? Oh, white America living on a farm with silos in the back with bluegrass music playing. And if it's the narrative of sort of like the racist antagonism against Obama, you're not going to sell many papers saying like, oh, the nice white people you work with are racist, are racistly antagonistic to Obama and they're going to vote Trump even with all his pussy grabbing and bullshit because that narrative, it raises too many questions. But you're ready to believe that all those farmers and all those coal miners and stuff and all those people, you know, playing in their jug bands, you're ready <laughs> to believe that they have it out for Obama and they want to champion Trump. But turns out that just wasn't the case. Turns out it, just, it was, it was upper middle class white people, well educated, yep. the people that are friends with you, the people mm-hmm. who babysit your kids, hang out with your kids, are in your play group. These were the people. Yeah. And he definitely captured the uneducated. But he wouldn't have won on them. Jason? But not alone. Not alone. Not the uneducated alone. He, he actually captured a large share of the educated. I mean, there's so much to this. I think what everything you guys are saying is true. At the same time, even though, yes, Clinton won some of the blocks we're talking about, she won them 
with at smaller margins than Obama did, including working class whites. By the way, another just shocking data point to me, which we haven't talked about yet, is that Trump got like 29 percent of the Latino vote. I saw that. Um, yeah, I'd really uh, like to see that disaggregated because Latinos, you know, there are, I like, bet you he got are the some key. of those are some of those Puerto Ricans who like they Cuban. don't have to worry about being deported or yes, yeah, certainly Cuban. Cu- Cu- Cubans. right wing Cubans. But they were still, a heavy part of the reason why he won Florida Cubans. Yeah, it makes sense. It's just a shocking number, though. Like he, he thought he would do like so. I mean, he did much better with Latinos than, you know, like African-Americans. I just wanted to add quickly before we move on, is that 12% of African-Americans voted for Donald Trump. I need to know who those people are and where they live. Because <laughs> I have questions. Um, uh, I have questions. I, you know Less questions. You know what? Those are respectability politics, black people. I, I think you're always going to find them in their group. I mean, but I will say that it does my heart. It does my heart good. And I walked around feeling so proud because black women held it down as always. As always. 94% of us went down the, down the Clinton line. And can I tell you, I guarantee you, not all of us were um, enthusiastic, as people are saying. But the one thing that we are are pragmatic. Mm-hmm. We understand about our children. We understand about the larger community. And we understand that respect. We understand our responsibility to our communities. Not the same thing that happens with white women, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that, but... We held it down, 94%. If we had gotten, if 94% of white women had showed up and protected their communities, but they did, because that's why they voted the way they did. White women did protect their communities. Exactly, that's what I said. That, that, but they, they, you know, they were protecting their own community. They're protecting whiteness. Like yes. it's a, Whiteness yes. is more central to, and this is always the problem to with white identity. feminists, it's more central to their identity because race is the master class here. So, I mean, the white women who voted for Trump, you know, say what you want about Clinton and people do the solidarity of like the female thing. As Susan Sarandon said, I don't vote with my vagina. I get it. Susan. (laughs) But I will say though, it's interesting that people are posing this issue because then how then do they make sense of the idea though, that Obama was able to capture white people, white women's imagination and, and yet Hillary was not. I don't know what that's about. You know, people are like, well, it just reveals that the country's more sexist than racist. I actually don't think that at all. I think that it just, I think white women going along with Trump reveals even more so that the country's racist. (laughs) I think people have been confusing those things. Like it was easier for a black man to become president than a white woman. No, I think the problem was Donald Trump had painted a dark enough world for white women that they chose whiteness. I think that everyone that Obama ran against, they didn't go down that road. And they might have succeeded if they had actually attacked it that way, but they ne- none of them ever did it. They never went far enough. Donald Trump was extremely explicit. I agree with you. I'm questioning your attribution as to why each sure, I have for Trump. No, like, I, I have don't... no idea why a specific person votes for Trump. They're going to come up with their rationale. So, Trisha, I'm sure you and your boyfriend, Bernie Sanders, have been watching this entire thing play out. <laughs> together. Together, yeah, you know, <laughs> in bed. Yeah, holding, <laughs> holding hands, his downy, frosted head just resting against your bosom. Uh, in those intimate moments, do you guys ever discuss if uh, he would have fared better than Clinton in this entire thing? Well, I find it intriguing that people are floating this idea. And I think that two things. One... If you buy into the economic arguments, which are, which are being floated now, because now that we have Trump as a president, we have to come to terms with why he's president and we can't decide that it's a racist reason. So we're going to go with the economic argument. If you think that that's really why white people showed up in droves for this man, then sure, you would think that Bernie Sanders is going to be, would have been more competitive. And you might even be able to argue around the, about the enthusiasm gap. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you pay attention to what Trump said and why I believe white people showed up, mm-hmm. which is, I think, racial anxiety and white supremacist notions of privilege that they felt they were losing mm-hmm. and sexism, then I think that Bernie Sanders would have been slaughtered because he was a Jew. And I think that even though that didn't get a lot of mileage during our primary, because it wouldn't have during not with that, not with that crowd anyway, 
yeah, it wouldn't have worked with, with, with our crowd, obviously. In the Democratic primary, it wouldn't have gotten much legs. But Trump ran an entirely anti-Semitic campaign. He was mo- actually, interestingly enough, he was more explicitly anti-Semitic than homophobic or even racist against black people. I mean, his, his arguments were generally inappropriate and sort of horrific when he talked about black people. But if you think about the explicit nature of the anti-Semitic elements in his campaign, those are much clearer than anything. No, I, I, I like, I've been thinking about this and I, um, it's helpful to hear you articulate it. I feel like you could create like a hierarchy of who he's been offensive against. And mm-hmm. I do think like Latinos and Muslims are certainly at the top. After that, I'd say Jews after that, black people after that. I, I feel like LGBT. Um, yeah, got to, they, he wasn't really, really that bad with that. No, and it, they, he even had moments where he was pretty like. Uh, He's like, they love me. Support, yeah, I love, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the game. I mean, in the early part, I will say that in the early part of his campaign, the fact that Trump is actually does not actually have problems with gay people was actually quite clear in the early part of his campaign. It's just that it got completely mushed out by the clear racism that emerges towards the end. And that was definitely solidifying with his um, his base of support. That if you really examine his campaign, he's not been explicitly homophobic at well, all. However, but Pence has the LGBT hatred thing on. But lock. that's well, yeah. See, then Trump, see, yeah. Trump really didn't need to go down that road. So exactly. And plus, also, he wasn't going to. Trump didn't have to be explicit about it because just by including Pence, he was already calling to those voters. But you would have to know that if you understood who Pence was. A lot of people stopped paying attention to Pence. Uh, not realizing that he was the probably the more frightful one, but I'm just saying that a lot of people didn't know who Pence was. I really that wait, you know he, I, Trump star because who which people are you talking about? Trump, you know about Pence because the conservative voters were well aware who Pence was, and when he joined that, the campaign, they were captured. So they were excited by that, obviously. But what I'm saying is he did not run on a homophobic platform explicitly. He did well, not and, say that. No, and, no, and Pence didn't get headlines, and that was by no. design. But I mean, typically, I think in elections, vice presidential candidates, it is the case that a lot of the electorate barely knows their names. Sarah Palin is like a glaring <laughs> exception exactly. because she made headlines by saying stupid shit. In this case, you had Donald Trump, who had been way before we all know this, way before choosing Pence, had just been monopolizing news cycles with stupid shit. Pence barely got a word in. And they also seem like they differed. They're really so I'm not I'm listen, I'm obviously homophobia is a part of it, but I'm just saying in terms of his explicit statements out loud, the anti-Semitic one is quite strong. And when he closed out with his final video for his campaign, it was a complete nod to KKK, KKK fears yeah. around um, the Jews. So if people yeah. think that he would have been tamer with Bernie. And all of the sort of bizarre Jew hatred that people have, where they think the Jews control the media, the Jews control Hollywood, the Drew is very like East Coast intellectual. I mean, let's wait. We would have seen that too. So this myth, and if those were the reasons, if those little nods were the reasons why people felt comfortable going in that booth, I don't think it would have been that different. However, I think that Bernie might have solved the enthusiasm problem that Clinton had. For sure. For I, sure. Think, I think he might have been able to turn young people out to the polls. I think he would have been able to get some small town America white voters from Maybe. Trump. I think he would have uh, captured some working class uh, white voters. But from Hillary Trump. got the working class. She didn't lose the working class. She really yeah, didn't. I, I but I'm saying still... she, he would have gotten the he would have gotten a sliver of the percentage that went to Trump. So he might have gotten the Clinton working class. But I think he would have his just populist ideas would have appealed to some of the people who chose Trump. So yeah, I'm not saying that he would have taken all of it, but I think he would have captured more than Clinton. Did. He he might have, but I I can't imagine that he would have won. And I and I have to, I've been thinking a lot about this. I didn't even think about the anti-Semitic part of it. I think you know there's a there's good reason to believe he would have turned out fewer people of color to vote for him. And I think that you know because so much of the traditional Republican base came out for Trump, I I just I don't see the numbers showing that Sanders would have won. I really don't think so. 
And as much as people, I, I mean, this is one of the interesting things, too, about this notion of um, people choosing Trump because he was anti-establishment. That doesn't actually make sense because they didn't get rid of any of the established players in Congress. So um, what they went with, like a rogue Trump, but then, hey, let's keep Paul Ryan. You know what I mean? It's like so Well, it, Paul Ryan's not up for election. No, not Paul Ryan, the other one, Rand Paul. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like, or or even Rubio, who basically begs people not to send him back, and they just say, sure, we'll send you right back. You hate being there, but here. You know, so this note, this idea, I, if that's really the case, I almost think that Bernie's leftist, leftist leading would have been even more frightening for people. I mean, he would have yeah, been pa- I, he would have been painted like a full on socialist. Yeah, no, I'm, well, he and he he identifies as a socialist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, no, I agree. He'd just be like, "Thank you." <laughs> I mean, it, maybe do, that would have won. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think that would have won over all the young people? Um, maybe all of the young. I mean, would white women have signed on for that? I don't know. I don't think most do. No, and I think people would just be afraid of what. I, I don't. I, I I can't. I I just cannot see him winning i don't think he would have won here we go we have a whole future four years spilling out ahead of us of donald trump the question looms what do we do what <laughs> what do we do how do we rebuild and we I, i'm talking about how do democrats rebuild how do republicans rebuild how do yeah. people of color rebuild i want to say about republicans you know the person who was also shitting a brick that night was probably paul ryan Nothing has changed from what we said in earlier podcasts. There's going to be a crisis with Republicans because a lot of the base, the rural angry base that exists for Trump are, are different from the Republican establishment. And Trump can now turn out these people in a way that the Republican establishment needs. So they're going to have to work with Trump. Paul Ryan and the rest of them are going to have to work with Trump. Also, they want to keep their jobs. And so now they have to work with this crazy person. So how do they stop their party from splitting like the Whig party did back in the 19th century? Why would their party, I was wondering about that. Why would their party need to split? I mean, if you have voter enthusiasm, that's what you want, right? I think it's possible. And what I'm about to say is like apocalyptic for me. So I'm not happy about <laughs> what I'm about to say. <laughs> But I think it's possible that Donald Trump just saved the Republican Party. Yes. You know, yes. I don't don't claim to be clairvoyant, but my gut tells me that this guy, I mean, we know, you know, during the campaign that he was telling people he wants his VP to run the country while he runs around and takes credit for everything. So I think what we're likely to see is that Paul Ryan and the Republicans are going to get everything done. He will just sign the shit that they sent him. He'll keep saying crazy shit about immigration and trade deals. But basically, bills – and the problem is, I think, Chris, to your question, the way Republicans can keep those people excited – and again, I'm so – this is disgusting what I'm about to say – is on the fucking social issues. So they're going to pass terrible legislation to reproductive rights and other shit. And they're going to keep those people through those issues, even while they continue to work against their economic interests. And Trump will be there to say it's still because we have too many illegal immigrants. It's still because of black people. It's still because of a Jewish conspiracy. So like they have him as the talking head to blame it all on scapegoats and they can get all their shit done and they look like heroes. Like it's, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I actually think I, I think the Republican Party is is in better shape now the way this went. Also, because, you know, the, there was all these predictions, again, the terrible polling about down ballot. Trump was going to get all. Well, no, no. Those people got reelected. Mm-mm, like yeah. Republicans did. I mean, a few, a few. We lost a few. They lost a few. A few yes. They lost a few, people, but so much. But they might get upgraded thought. to actually federal positions. Yeah. <laughs> You know that guy that everyone hated in um, Arizona. What is his name? Arapo, Sheriff Arapo. Yeah, people want yeah. him to. Do, people want him to come here and do Homeland Security. That's great, wonderful. You know what I mean? So well, it's like you're like. Congratulations, you, America! You guys, you guys might as well move back to Jamaica now because you, it's coming. <laughs> no, I'm no better off there. I'll tell you that much. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying he's going to send you there. He's going to say, can gonna, I ask, where's your so, birth certificate that shows that you were born here? Can I ask so, you um, both a question now in mm-hmm. relation to this, Chris? 
mm-hmm. know how we were sitting around saying the Republican Party was going to have to have a come to Jesus moment? Yes. So it's not the Republican Party that has to have a come to Jesus moment. That's right. It's the Democratic right. Party that has to have That's a right. Yes, you segue machine. Say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, re- you're reading right off my notes. Yes, yes. I mean, I were we so clueless that we ourselves fell down that polling hole <laughs> and didn't recognize that there was something flawed some flaw in the ointment for the Democratic Party. You are so yes. flaw in the ointment. I know. I love the flaw in the ointment. No, fly in the ointment. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Did we, <laughs> did, did we miss that boat? Like, I mean, because yes. talk about it. We spent months asking ourselves, oh my God, how is this going to happen? This apart, this party's going to split apart. Poor Republicans. They're going to have to go visit themselves. I can't wait until they figure out who they are. And now I'm asking you, is that the same questions for the Democrats? Or are we exactly who we want to be, but we are not approaching the value, the the values in a way that is going to sort of translate to white Americans? I think the Democrats, huh. You know what, what gives me great pause is that Donald Trump was able to win the presidency by almost entirely bypassing communities of color. Yeah. Right. He mm-hmm. was like, I'm not going to get the, I'm not going to get the people of color vote. So I'm just going to appeal to white nationalists, uh, the white base, their Republican party and other deplorables. And he just did it. And I think that is very alarming. I think that is an absolute alarm bell for everyone else in America. I thought you couldn't do that anymore. I thought check it out. But well, I thought, well, the, way, no, I but thought you know the way what, the Trisha? electorate worked, you could not comfortably bypass people check of color. Check it out. No, no, will... no, but let's 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 just qualify that. Let's be because in terms of his rhetoric and his strategy, what you're saying is absolutely right, Chris. In terms of how he did with those communities, again, he got about the same number of black people as Romney and yeah. more Latinos than Romney did. So by by running on this white identity political approach, he was able to keep and even slightly increase the number of people of color. So what you're saying, Trisha, is like, I thought you couldn't do that. Well, you you can't do it without the numbers, but he got the fucking numbers. And he got more white people to vote, right? No, apparently, apparently though, he got less votes overall than Romney did. Yeah, but that's not the same as the percentage split of that. Well, and she also that's got less votes than Obama did. Yeah, just fewer people voted. Mm, okay. Like, and anyway, where I'm going with this is that I think the Democratic Party, they have a problem because they have to retain, keep, and attract white people. But I so, thought white people are going to die in 29 years. What? Well, no, the, can, I, can I say the, the... Wait, what? <laughs> Trisha, what? In, well, no, in, in 2045, right? In 2045, the they're, they're yeah. totally the minority. So that that split is is oh. you know what I mean. Well, I then think that they're ahead of the game. Even easier, party because what's going to happen is that they're going to they're going to rise in distinct opposition to the Republican ideals. I mean, the Republicans are going to spend the next four years either building a wall or trying to shuffle around and pretend like they're building a wall. There's a lot of things that he promised he was going to do that he's either going to have to deliver if he wants to be reelected or they're going to have to find some other horrible way to institute that. And I think the, uh, that a natural opposition is going to grow up and the Democratic Party needs to capture that. They need to go back to Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And they need, there needs to be a populist left. No, that's right. But he's got to opportunity... be young and handsome, though. Well, that's right. The opportunity is the millennials. They just did not like Hillary Clinton. They were like, why are you handing us an old corrupt person, whether that's fair or not? Yeah. And so what the Democratic Party needs to do is needs to start producing. And I think you're right. Like, like, like John F. Kennedy, you know, Barack Obama types. types, like people who are charismatic, are attractive and are don't have the baggage that a Hillary Clinton has. That's that's what they're going to need to do. And I again, like Cory Booker is the first one who comes to mind. I'm sure there are others like that. Those are the kind of people the party needs to run. And I think then they can start winning. Kamala Harris. Yeah. Kamala Harris is very attractive. You know, these things matter. OK, let her get to work um, for the, her first day. I mean, first. But she's got to get to work. And in four years, you know what I mean? That's what you need. Like, I do think there's a kind of youthful element that is required. Somebody without a long history, because right. I think if you're going to emerge as a kind of um, change agent, you can't have that much baggage. And maybe that's part of the reason why Barack Obama was able to compel people yeah and make I them imagine so. that there was possibility of difference and maybe that i mean maybe that difference was enough to sway even the even the whitest racist 
you know, I was thinking about that, you know, if this, if, if this was about sort of like a change agent, right. And you thought that Barack Obama was a change agent for good and for hope and, and positivity, maybe what you have emerged here is a change agent for destruction. It's like a darker force that people were willing to get in bed with. They're like, well, we got in bed with Obama. It didn't quite work out for us. So let's get in bed with this other change agent. It's going to go down a darker road, but sometimes you got to burn everything, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, but there are a lot of people saying that, that, you know, that typically after a party has the presidency for two terms, um, people are looking for a change. And that there are people saying, there are political scientists saying that there's research that this could be simply attributed to Clinton did not have a message of change. And, yeah. and people it was an wanted extension change. of Obama. It was continuity. Um, yeah, I do. Can Which, we just I mean, take one moment, though? Can we take one moment? Okay. I just want to take a moment to say, because I've had plenty of time this week to think about this. Like, in my lifetime, I do feel so blessed to have had Barack Obama as the president. And I think even taking away the historic nature of his presidency, that he's the first black president, I, I feel very strongly from his policy positions and his integrity, no scandals, super intelligent, no talking down, real unifier. Like, I am so grateful that we had him as president for the past eight years. He is by far the best president that's, that's been in that office in my lifetime. And I, I want to make sure I take a moment to be grateful for that in despair about the new president. I think Barack Obama was more than this country deserved. For sure. And- I think Agreed. his presidency is historic, but beyond that, I think it's going to be important because in electing Donald Trump, I think we're entering into a middle period in our history, like much like the period that was entered immediately after slavery, where yeah. the country broke and everyone had to look around and be like, what do we do now? I think <laughs> we're entering that. I think we're entering that period because Barack Obama having a black man as president, a black man who was, who is, so intelligent and so yes. effective and uh, no scandals, nothing to distract you from the job that he's doing. The, the only sin he had for voters was that he was black and let that sink in. And the fact that we elected someone endorsed by white nationalists, it was just based solely on the fact that we just had a black president. America is going to have to deal with themselves now. And I think I want to thank Barack Obama for that. The next couple of years are not going to be easy for people of color. It's not going to be easy for LGBT people. There's already like already all over social media. It's already people being accosted on the streets. Like it's going to be bad, but I think it's going to force a reaction in the other direction. Can I ask you a question, Chris? Um, yeah. I can remember on multiple occasions having conversations with you when some public figure would say something explicitly racist and my reaction would be, oh God, that's so awful. And your reaction would be, oh no, I'm glad they said it out loud because I mm-hmm. like my racists where I can see them. Oh yes, honey. And so I like here's, them lined up. Here's my question for you. One of my biggest concerns is that Trump's campaign, especially now that it was successful, you know, for a long time in this country, it's been unacceptable to say certain things publicly. People, you know, there's policy that drives those things, but certain racist, anti-Semitic remarks, you just, it was not okay to say, and people would be condemned. Even during the campaign, you had like Paul Ryan condemning Trump for saying something racist. I guess my two questions are, one, are we now going back to a time when it's going to be socially acceptable for people publicly to be saying all manner of racist homophobic, anti-Semitic, anti-Islamic. And if we are, is that a good thing because we have a better sense of where people stand or is that a bad thing? The way that you asked the question, I would say yes and no to both of them. I don't think we're going, quote unquote, back to a time where it's, quote unquote, socially acceptable. I think we're entering a time where people are saying these things, but society has moved to a point where we know deep down that it's not socially acceptable. Some of that is demographics. A lot of that is history. Most of it is media. People just simply have too much exposure to LGBTQ people, to black people, to Latinos, either in their lives or via media that they know that this is not correct. So this is what I'm saying. Trump and all of this and his refusal to dog whistle 
and just say what he wants to say is going to create an opposition to that. I think it's already begun, really. I mean, I don't, I'm sure your Facebook feeds look like mine. It's already begun. So I, I think the fact that having racists where we can see them, that worked in the past. And I think maybe Trump and some of these other Republicans are comfortable in it, but it's not the same time. Things are not the same. And we're about to see that in a big way, I think. And whether what the does Democrats, that mean? Whether what does that Democrats mean? What does that mean? What I mean is that the Democrat, this is an opportunity for the Democrats to harness this and use it to sort of rebuild their, their party and then get the next candidate out in front. It's maybe it's Cory Booker. I like Cory Booker too. Like, and I think he would be really great, but this is their opportunity to use the opposition that's going to spring up around Trump and this discourse to push someone forward, whether or not they take the opportunity. I don't know. They've been batting zero the past been this past uh, campaign cycle. Well, I mean, I think part of the reason was um, they were trapped, right? You had Hillary, who I felt like it was her turn. And then you had Bernie Sanders. She felt like it was her turn. You know what I mean? Like, I think, but also I think the DNC felt like it was her turn, right? No question. I mean, look, only two people ran against her. One who's not a member of the Democratic Party. Exactly. Martin O'Malley, who had no base. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, Trisha. No, but but you're right. This was a big thing. When you look at the autopsy, I mean, everyone everyone knew. I mean, everyone knew that if Hillary was going to run, the field would clear. Yeah. And I don't know whether, like, I don't, I don't know enough about the inner workings of the party to understand why that is. But, like, people are, are going to have to look back at that and say, like, that was. Oh, it, it was her ahead. turn, Sorry. though. It was her turn. Because remember, the whole, the whole narrative around Barack Obama was that he should have waited his turn. And he came in too soon for her, right? Like, he gave his great speech and people expected him to run in 2008. But he decided to go for, I mean, to, to, in 2012. 2012, yeah. 12, right? But he decided to go for it in 2008. And many people thought that was too soon and that that did damage to her, right? And so this turn taking that happened, I think that was a big problem. And I do also think that she was massively wounded by Bernie's campaign massively wounded i think they need to examine that why they let that guy come in because at the end of the day all of the problems that hillary ended up having throughout the main campaign were things that bernie introduced into the public's consciousness and really hounded this idea that she was in sort of entirely untrustworthy and was more of the same i mean those are the things that killed her in the in the main election you know, and then people were left longing for the things that Bernie had introduced, which were never, ever part of the, the Democratic platform. Had never been. You know? So it's like, I mean, you would necessarily understand why there was, a, there was this nostalgia for Bernie and potentially temper the enthusiasm for her. Um, and I also think it really did damage to, for people to conceive of the Democratic, the DNC as being in collusion with her. That was a big problem. When that, that came out, huge. that was a big problem. Yeah, and I think that really tainted things. And that really was a powerful piece of Trump's platform was Bernie was supposed to be my competitor. Hillary was chosen. Do you know what I mean? So it really well, it look, it, it affirmed it, Trump saying that it's rigged. I mean, yeah, it exactly. Like, yeah, it really did. And it, it, it was rigged. It affirmed the idea that she was corrupt, that she yes. would do anything, that yep. she's lying to people, and it was it was a bad time when those emails. Yeah. If I if I never talk about emails, <laughs> emails again, again. <laughs> Comey's emails. Maybe that's well. maybe that's the one silver lining that we won't have to hear about that shit. Emails. Oh, but I mean, I, 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 whoever the next candidate should be, uh, honey, Pony Express, never, <laughs> never write an email again. I do think, but I think you have something there, though, Chris. I think that instead of retreating, instead of retreating from our plurality. I say we go full hog and embrace it and just return to the formula that was Barack Obama. Because what we actually did was abandon a winning formula, right? By returning to Hillary Clinton, we abandoned the thing that Barack Obama had brought in to the party, which was true and difference and airiness. And so realistically, what we could have done was we needed to have lobbied for a fantastic, first of all, I think we should have lobbied for a fantastic Hispanic. And I think that would have really, really sort of like solidified the Latino vote in the Democratic Party, because I've always thought the Latino vote was very vulnerable to Republicans pulling um, because of their inerrant sort of like conservatism from from a sort of religious perspective. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it's just, I, I do think that we retreated 
And I think that there was definitely a sense that the party felt old, you know, old. And if you if you see anything from the what you referenced before, if the 18 to 25 year olds had voted like the entire country, including Texas, like yep. most countries would be blue. I think the thing that we learned from that is that young people today get it. They understand the plurality. Plurality. Understand the plural. <laughs> this is all going to okay. get cut out. <laughs> I think you should keep it in. Start over. They understand the plural. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. They understand the diversity. diversity. Thank you. <laughs> they understand the diversity okay. of America and they're embracing it. So I think the Democratic Party should look at that. And embrace it because you know what? These all these people are going to die out. And three or four election cycles, if they can stay on that message, nurture it, and continue to communicate it, they can have a lock on the presidency 16 years from now going forward. Hmm. All right. Well, let mm-hmm. this be an end to our election hangover. I don't Ooh. know. And I guess this is also the end of the podcast, guys, right? We have nothing to talk about no i'm kidding but the ultimate been... outrage has occurred really it has been such a ride this election uh i can't say that i'm i know that trump is president or going to be and that's a nightmare but i feel like this is a it's a nightmare with a certainty i feel like we can chart a way through it the election was two years of uncertainty it was a nightmare i feel All like right, the well, next four years are going to be uncertain because i really don't know what he's going to execute yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? Like he he said a lot of things. Which one's going to stick? I don't know. Well, well and, and a lot of the things he said, like, again, as we were just saying, he said he was going to do certain things, but it doesn't make any damn sense. So, like, what does it actually look like? like we're all going to find out together and in horror. <laughs> That's so exactly right. Between, but, but before we all <laughs> fall off the I'm deep end. and crying at the same time. Before we uh, get off this podcast and resume drinking, let's uh, share some media recommendations. Something that you saw that was surprisingly not election related recently uh, that um, you would recommend to someone else to sort of buoy their spirits. Well, um, I saw the thing everybody saw, I think. I saw Moonlight and I adored it. And I can you talk um, a little bit about it so people can be compelled to see it. So um, Moonlight is a story by Barry Jenkins, uh, directed by Barry Jenkins and written by pay- playwright by the name of what is his name? Taryn something. I can't remember his last name right now. Um, but it's essentially fo- it fo- follows a young boy through three phases of his life. He's a young, young boy, teenager and as an adult. And it's just a coming of age story that is told beautifully beautiful cinematography really wonderful dialogue just the reason why it's different than anything you've ever seen is because this black male character is treated tenderly in the sense that he has his full humanity at all phases of his journey he's not a monster he's not a horrible person he's just fully human and fully flawed and the director just carried you threw this movie as if this was like living was like a noble endeavor. I don't know how to explain that. I just, I, I, you just don't happen to see that on screen a lot with black male leads. I will say I have seen and had the same feeling watching other movies, but they're usually French movies. French movies seem to have a real love affair with the, with um, coming of age tales where they really let the, they really let the youth be young and foolish and have a lot of angst and pain and sorrow and you know they really do that well and they don't judge the characters in in those movies they really seem to let the characters do what they need to do to grow that was the same feeling i had watching this movie that the character was allowed to grow in whatever direction he he needed to grow to just be who he was going to become so that is um why it was compelling to me it was phenomenal it was really phenomenal. And after the when the credits were rolling, I just was like, wow, how will the Academy ignore this? And they will find a way. Yeah, <laughs> they will absolutely have to find a way to make sure that they don't recognize it. They're going to be sorely tested next year. Uh, everyone should see Moonlight. Everyone. Everyone really right now. Jason, I don't know why you're waiting. 
It's damn kids. That's why I don't have any time to go to the movie. Hey, hey. What did we say in the last episode? Your kids are great. They so. are great. They just keep me busy. Uh, just so, so the listeners know, we started recording late because they would, wouldn't go to sleep. Yeah, and, and, and didn't they come in at one point? Yes. I had to put it on mute and yeah, lay the law down. Yes. <laughs> Your kids are so, lovely. New York Times Magazine printed an article a couple of weeks ago called uh, Kesha Interrupted. Oh, yeah. It follows uh, Kesha. I forget her last name. It follows Kesha. Who, does she have a last name? Yeah. Um. Does she have a last it was, name? I'm joking. I've only, I've only ever joking. heard her referred to as Kesha. I'm sure. Is I the, that is was the dollar sign name. on her birth certificate? <laughs> <laughs> her name is Kesha Siebert. I just remembered it's Whoa. Kesha Siebert and she, the Kesha. I was going to say that's that's why she just calls me Kesha. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, <laughs> we're punchy. Okay, go ahead. Kesha rose to prominence on the on the her the heels of her single TikTok and had two successful albums before she revealed that she had been sexually assaulted by her producer, Doctor Luke, which launched a a court case whereby she does not want to work with him anymore. According to her, she doesn't want to work with him anymore. However, Sony, who controls her contracts, either says she has to or something. Every side is saying something different. Sony says that she's free to work with another producer. Kesha is saying that's not exactly the case. Nevertheless, the, the story really just follows Kesha's journey now, who is a pop star in stasis. She was really on her way up, but now she's got all these... um legal fees she's prevented from making new music and she's just touring these small venues trying to make some money what i liked about the article was that it kind of it put a face on kesha which you're not used to seeing and also her story of as a survivor being trapped in this way and then punished an artist who was sort of stuck now and can't make her art it just really it moved me i thought it was uh, intriguing so i would say check it out kesha interrupted that sounds intriguing. Actually, yeah, it was. I mean, even if you're not a fan of Kesha or her music, it is an interesting interaction that she's had with the legal system vis-a-vis these sexual assault charges. Wow, that's really interesting. I will say that I did go see Jack Reacher Never Go Back. Oh, how was it? I thought it was really good. I think most critics have not liked it. Rotten Tomatoes, you know, Metacritic stuff yeah. has been low. Um, and, you know, as I've mentioned... I heard there was before, one person in the D.C. area who saw it. And I, <laughs> I can't believe we have an interview with you. I, you I was with someone else, so there were two people. Who well, and that person no. didn't admit that they saw it. So, so here we are. I actually thought it was really good. I'm someone who, who reads the books, and it's very different from the books. And yet, I thought it was uh, very good. Hmm. I recommend it. Okay, I so see, that, I just so that point five out, more people could see it. Why? I want to point out that Trisha recommended Moonlight, like a piece <laughs> of art. And you're Listen. recommending a Tom Cruise vehicle, but okay, Listen, you know that's what Tom makes this Cruise, podcast so. Tom Cruise outrageous. is a good actor. Tom Cruise makes movies, so that's all that's required in a media recommendation: the movie. <laughs> um, sorry. Well, you're right. Jason feels that people should see it. There you go. <laughs> Let it be. I can't win. You know what? <laughs> All right. If I recommend a barbershop, I get killed. A movie. I there's like nothing I'm allowed to recommend. Let me tell you something. White men are being constrained. Vote Trump. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this is can a perfect I, example. Can I ask? Can I ask for an extra recommendation, Chris? Sure. That, that is, if anyone um, did 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 any of y'all read anything that sort of gave you a moment of pause and made you feel positive about the outcome of the election in any way, shape, or form? So my answer to that is not really. But the other thing I was thinking about, the other recommendation, which I wasn't going to, but now that you asked for another one, I recently discovered that there's a brand new um, library branch near where I live in D.C., and I discovered this children's book my kids and I have been reading, Bad News for Outlaws, The Remarkable Life of Bass Reeves, Deputy U.S. Marshal. Reeves. Have you ever, either of you ever heard of him? No. No. So he was an African-American <laughs> deputy U.S. Marshal in Indian Territory, which later became Oklahoma. Fascinating guy. Amazing life. Amazing life. Uh, and, and just like we've read it now a couple times, just extraordinary. So does that have anything to do with the election? No. 
But reading the book, this was a guy who was a slave in his early life and became just a phenomenal law enforcement official. There's like a lot of things about the story that's just like, wow, like what is possible? Like human beings are amazing and can do amazing things. And this guy is one of them. So I appreciate that. So you're, you're trying to tell us that we have resiliency and we will, we will last through the next four years. Uh, yes, very much okay. so. We can still thrive. The thing that I've been reading has been, it got to be too much at one point, but my Facebook feed, there's been so much outpouring support, people reposting numbers for the Trevor Project and other helplines for LGBTQ people and for young people who are going to see this election like as uh, – America throwing away some segment of the population. Uh, it, it hurts my heart to know that people heard that Mike Pence will be the VP and then decided that they didn't want to live in that world. Yeah. So it's been very heartening for me to see there's been so much love given out there. I've gotten messages from people that I've not spoken to from year in years and wow, just saying, great. hi, how are you? It's been, it's been a love fest for the past 24 hours I've been getting a lot of messages, just I love you from people I haven't seen, people I grew up with that I haven't seen in 30 years, from people I went to elementary school with. I, I, I think it's, like I said earlier, I think people are being challenged by the overt nature of the things that Trump represents. And I would say that my Facebook feed has been very encouraging in that way. That's beautiful. That's, That's beautiful to hear. So on that positive note, everybody, uh, it's time to say goodbye. Wait, so, did Trisha give one? Wait, did you do one, Trisha? Yeah, Trisha. What about you, Trish? Did you answer your own question? Um, I actually asked because I wanted to know. I hadn't. I had. I mean, I read. Um, I read an Atlantic Monthly piece about who, why Trump voters thought they were going to win. Um, and it was written in July, and it was actually. I mean, because I sometimes need to understand things before I can get make peace with it. I understood the Trump voter better as a result of reading that. Hmm. Um, I didn't say I liked them better, but I understood them better. And so that was heartening on some level. I need to understand. <laughs> oh, that's, that's um, good. Yeah. So it was, it was totally ignored, but the, the article turned out to be quite prescient. They, everything that the guy predicted would happen happened. And and so it's just a matter of sort of like looking the other side in the eye and knowing exactly who they are and what they care about. I think one of the things that was a, that blindsided many of us, and I, I've been hearing a lot about that, is that we live in a bubble because, of course, I live in California and we live, we both, all of us live in really blue very areas, blue areas, very yeah. blue areas. And I, and that's actually deliberate. I know that I live in a blue area and I deliberately live in a blue area sure. and I gain comfort from that. But the other side of that is that occasionally you can be surprised by red um, <laughs> and the extent of red and what that actually means. And so it's, it was kind of nice to revisit that piece and look at it and go, okay, all right, this is the thing we're dealing with. This is what this is about. So I, I thought cool. that was really good. That was helpful. All right, everybody. So <laughs> until next time, bye. Bye. bye.